Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tatecast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by someone who I have uh, admired and been a fan of for a long time, Trey Kirby from the No Dunks podcast over at The Athletic. Uh, got to talk to him about the, the long history of the podcast, of you know the basketball Jones, the starters. Of course, we talked some top shots, you know, the future of, of content creation and consumption, and then got into some NBA crystal ball stuff, looking at the rest of the season, the playoffs, and uh, of course, you know, I, I had to uh, steal his attention and talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, have been doing daily Top Shots episodes on the Patreon for TakeCast. That's www.patreon.com slash TakeCast if you want to support the show that way. Or you can support the show through leaving a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now let's go ahead and get into the show. All right, everyone. Very excited to do this show. Welcoming in none other than Trey Kirby from No Dunks from The Athletic. Very excited. I've been... Uh, a listener, a watcher for a long time, and I've always wanted to do this show. So, Trey, thank you very much for giving us a little bit of your time. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to talk uh, basketball, top shot. Who knows what else we'll get into here? Yeah, well, uh, we we will uh, we will run the gamut for sure. So, this is the the first thing I wanted to ask you is I I literally have been listening to the show for so long that my first exposure to it was. So Grantland used to kind of like they were building a network, right? They had your guys' show. They had uh, Men and Blazers and other podcasts I still listen to because they weren't even producing podcasts yet. They were farming out a podcast yeah. network. This is like this is like literally over a decade ago. And, you know, I've been there for for the starters and no dunks now. And And I was actually just in doing research for this. I realized I probably created Twitter to follow you Tass and Skeets because if you go back and look at my Twitter following list, it's like you guys and Lee as like five of the first 10 accounts uh, that I followed. But I also realized in doing this, I have no idea the Genesis of the basketball Jones. I don't even know. I don't know how you guys met. I don't know how you guys decided to start doing the show. So I, I want to get it from the horse's mouth. Well, Thank you very much for supporting us from the beginning. You're right. A lot of people found us through Grantland. They were, like you're saying, getting into the podcast game. They brought in us. They had uh, Men in Blazers, like you said. I think they had The Solid Verbal, a college football yep. podcast back in the day. All three of us still going and kicking. A lot of people discovered us then. Um, but I also do have to apologize. if you. We are the reason you got into Twitter. I'm very, very sorry for that. Oh, I know. What a, what a disastrous long-term decision that has been for my mental health. Oh, man. Twitter in 2010 to 2013, a lot different than it is now. No doubt yeah. about it. But uh, the genesis of the show, it started with Skeets and Tass and JD. They all went to Ryerson University in Toronto together. They worked 
or they went through, I think it was called radio and TV. I don't know. I didn't know the guys back then, but they were okay. in uh, a media production uh, majors, right? So they started working on some things together, doing short films during college. Dur- uh, I think Tass and JD worked on a sports show together, perhaps during uh, their university time. So they knew each other from back then. Uh, Matt Austin, our former producer as well. He was also a Ryerson student. They all knew each other from going to school together, meeting in Toronto, that sort of thing. Fast forward a few years later, they've graduated. They've moved on um, to jobs that, you know, sometimes you don't love your first job after you get out of school. If I'm not mistaken, Skeets was a physician recruiter at the time. uh, And they just wanted to do something that was creative. So they said, all right, what can we do? And JD said, let's make a podcast. They say, what is a podcast? What's a podcast? Nobody knew what a podcast was. This was 2006 that the show started. Um, So they started making a podcast. I believe it was once a week at the time. Uh, getting together in JD's house, trying to get his dogs to be quiet, talking ball. (laughs) I think the first show came immediately after Kobe had 81 against the Raptors. I think that's kind of like the the benchmark of when the show starts. The Genesis moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Uh, They're going to auction it someday, I heard. That episode, if anybody can dig it out. Um, But they started it back then. It got a little bit of a following, and soon they moved to daily. They would get up before... You know, they went to their real jobs and record half an hour, 45 minutes on the night before. And that's kind of when I found out about the show. I was, my major in school was health science. I wanted to be a doctor, didn't want to do the studying. So I ended up <laughs> right. doing pharmaceutical research, which meant I was on a computer <laughs> a lot, which meant I had a lot of time to mess around, coming up with a blog, looking at basketball stuff. Basically the same thing I've been doing now for 15 years <laughs> at this point. But I was starting to make my name in the basketball blogging world. They were obviously big in the podcast world. So I was a fan, you know, I had to drive. I think I was driving an hour and 15 minutes each way to my job at that time, which is a perfect time to load up a podcast on your crank out some podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to load it before you left the house. You had to plug it in. You had to update your iTunes. You had to make sure you had the right one downloaded and then you're good to go. And then you got to do it all again the next morning. Weird times before the easy updates, but uh, I found out about them. I was hopping in their comments, you know, just chatting it up, trying to get in with the guys. Eventually, Skeets moved on to Yahoo's Ball Don't Lie, which is where the show picked up a little bit more steam. He brought me on as a contributor. They sold the show then uh, in summer of 2010 to The Score, which is a Canadian sports media network. That It then became a TV show, also a podcast on the side. I was running Yahoo's Ball Don't Lie blog at the time, and they asked me if I wanted to come and work for them. I would be working from home for a year in Chicago. Uh, So I said, yeah, I I love these guys. I'd wanted to work with them for a long time. Uh, I mean, a long time, a long time in the internet. A long time in internet years. It feels like a long time, exactly. Um, So when they said, so when they offered, I was like, absolutely. Um, I started right before the 2010-11 season, running their blog, appearing on the podcast once a week for that year. Summer of 2011, my wife and I moved up to Toronto, which was kind of always going to be the plan. You know, we lived in Chicago our whole lives. We wanted to experience something else. It was either going to be Madison, Wisconsin, or Toronto, Ontario. Uh, Easy choice. Came through. Yeah, it was awesome. So we moved up there. They were a video show, like I said at the time, a TV show, a podcast. That's when I met Lee. He was an employee at the score, just working in the sports media department. I think he was doing some editing. He was, you know, carrying cameras and doing little interviews, just doing whatever he could to kind of make his name at the score. Obviously a huge basketball fan. So he kind of latched on with the TBJ guys as well. And that's where 
the five of us who are still together right now all finally united probably like 2011 2012 uh doing tbj for the score up in toronto uh we moved we moved to toronto in september 2011 which was immediately after that as soon as we got there nba lockout so i was like this is cool yeah great moving here I'm going to be leaving for a month and a half to go on the road and do live (laughs) podcast shows for a sport that's not happening right now. But my wife, very supportive. It went well. Eventually, uh, NBA TV brought us to Atlanta to do a TV show for them. We did a podcast as well. The starters for six seasons. And then now we've been with The Athletic for the 2019-20 season and then this season as well. So there we go. There we have it. It's It's all wrapped up. He got all the way through it. Yeah. Uh, so I, that's actually, that's a little bit of minutia that probably people of the show don't know. Now there used to be a TBJ blog. It used to <laughs> like, which, I mean, how much nicer is your daily routine now without having to write and do blog stuff? Cause blog stuff, it just, it does, it feels, uh, terrible to do once, once you, a big portion of your job becomes audio, the writing does become, brutal that's something that that i've found too like my job now is like 80 percent audio visual so like the writing stuff i'm like you know this just becomes out of date and it's so hard to do so quickly and you get it it just it, it is not nearly as rewarding as the audio visual stuff oh i totally agree um it's kind of always been my mo to whatever we're making i want to be the best at it i just want to be the yeah. best at whatever we're making so when the internet uh, sports media was really kicking off. That was, that was blogs. And like you're saying, it could be, it could be brutal. You know, you're up early to, to see what the news is. You're writing your stuff as fast as you can to get it out before somebody else does. And then you got to move on to the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. And then it's the next day. And there's games that night. It can be a little overwhelming. It's a certainly a lot easier to turn on a microphone and talk for an hour and a half. To exactly. Your buddies. Yeah. Uh, somebody else chops it up, makes it sound beautiful, puts it out to the world. And then you're responding to everything. It was also at the same time, you know, blogs were peaking, but Twitter was launching. And as soon as Twitter really caught on, I mean, that was back in the 140 character days. I mean, if you're talking 140 characters versus 1400 words, that's an easy decision for a lot of people. Yeah. So, you know, uh, long form started getting longer, I think. And the shorter stuff certainly translated over to Twitter. Podcasts were popping off. Video was popping off. Things were changing pretty quickly. Uh, but yeah, it's like, when we were doing blogs, I wanted to have the best blog. When we were making a TV show, I wanted to make the best TV show. We've always been doing a podcast and we've always been trying to make the best podcast. Right. So this is, I mean, just in general, the future of content and how people consume and create that content is like really fascinating to me. And you've been on, you know, all sides of the aisle, right? Writing, TV, podcasting, you know, all of these different ways that, uh, know that people consume their media now and something i've noticed is that well and this is this is not a unique observation at all but like uh big cultural things are kind of like dead now like i kind of the last thing was game of thrones but even that like compare game of thrones to like a random episode of cheers from like 1988 and season three episode 15 of cheers got 10x the viewers that the final episode or the final season of game of thrones got and you know i in our in our agenda here i'm like mass consume stuff like the mass singer like i don't even know if these things will even be produced in 10 years from now right because people's interests have gotten so 
hyper niche. Like not only do I want to listen to a basketball podcast, but I want to listen to a basketball podcast that has, you know, the, 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 the guys know about the trades that guys are know about top shot that we have advanced metrics being discussed. Like I, I, I don't want to listen to like uh, a super blanket fan, you know, basketball podcast. And so one question I have from you as someone who has, you know, been involved with the TV networks and stuff is like, I mean, do you even think that like the mega networks and things like that exist or, or do you view content going even more super niche podcasts, on-demand videos, streaming, like I, like streaming Twitch and things like that. You know, you guys do uh, a lot of, you know, the stream team, you guys do a lot of that stuff with, uh, with no dunks. I mean, what direction do you see specifically, you know, I mean, and you can even keep it specifically to sports content. Like what direction do you see these things going in? There's always going to be big media. I do think, you know, there's always going to be people who are on the top of the game. It just might look a little bit different, right? Like there are TV deals already signed for all these sports leagues right now. And the, the people who are in charge of the sports leagues, the people who are in part in charge of the TV networks, these are all people who came up doing TV stuff. So to me, that's why, you know, we are getting into the streaming age, but as that generation of, people kind of ages out of the industry perhaps we get even more hyperspeed into the streaming era into the niche era but I don't know how that I'm not exactly sure how that's going to change things to me perhaps you see that it's less important maybe for the NBA to have a TV deal if they can have their own streaming network that you just subscribe to the NBA and you have every single NBA game maybe that's something that happens in the future but there's always I do think that there's always going to be you know, there are there, as much as there is so much niche stuff out there and people like me and you are willing to go find it and track it down right. and find exactly what we want and try new things and figure out what's going to stick around and what isn't. There are as many people who just want to be able to turn on the TV and see Victor Oladipo belting out a beautiful tune on The Masked Singer, you know, so... As much as it feels like we're going to get into the completely niche era, I think there still will be these big media properties out there that appeal to the masses. We've always said, you know, not everybody watched the starters on NBA TV, but everybody watched the starters on NBA TV if you were at an airport, because guaranteed that was going to be on a chili sports bar there. And I think those things are still going to have value in the future, though. I mean, 20 years, that could be not the case. 10 years, I don't know. Uh, But it definitely feels like we're on the change right now. Uh, with regards to how everybody is viewing how you get your content and where you get your content. Yeah. Like uh, uh, just as you were talking, you know, an on-demand model where the NBA goes, you know, we don't care like, you know, NBC, ESPN, TNT, you can offer us whatever you want. We would rather a la carte offer you go to NBA.com. You can pay $5. You can watch any game or you can pay $30 a month and you can have access to every game. You can have access to all of our shows. You can have access to all of our podcasts. And I mean, there definitely has been a move to start, um, you know, like dollar gating podcasts in a way that would have been unthinkable, right? When you were, when we, when you were downloading the basketball Jones via like the, the, when people first started asking people to pay for podcasts, it was like a total, um, 
like, no, why would I do that? Why would I pay for a podcast? It's like paying for radio, you know, who cares The I actually remember the first podcast I paid for. It was an old episode of hardcore history with Dan Carlin. Nice. And I was like, this is just a great value proposition for me. These podcasts are like five hours long. They're super entertaining. He researches them super well. And I, I do think we are kind of entering into an era where people feel comfortable a la carte paying for things that they know they like, as opposed to paying, oh, you know, I'll, I'll pay $10 a month, Netflix, $10 a month, to Hulu, $10 a month, to Disney plus, and you know, whatever live sports package I want. And it is, it is now becoming onerous even to subscribe to all these things because Netflix raised their price, right? If you want to get any of the live sports packages, it's like $60 a month. I mean, everyone who has one streaming service probably has others, sure. right? And, and, and I, I just, I wonder how long this business model sustains before it becomes, and, and live sports is like the last bastion of things you know people will pay for. In, in the end, live sports will probably be what does save network television because that, I mean, that's the most valuable thing to have because you can, you really can only watch it while it's happening. Most of the stuff on the internet is built around digital scarcity, right? Those are the things that are valuable. And you look at sports, that's scarcity in real life right there. There are only 72 NBA games for every NBA team this season. There's only one championship at the end. And those are the things that you have to tune in when they're happening while they're happening or else you're going to be out of date. So that, that to me is, I mean, that's still the big thing. And that's why you see sports rights go for so much and so much, but you're hundred percent right that people are getting more and more uh, comfortable with paying for things a la carte and paying for things digitally that they're not used to paying for digitally. I was talking with my wife last night about one of the most frustrating things in the entire internet, keeping your Gmail storage under a hundred percent when you're trying to manage all of your files, you know? For me, for you, you know, we work on the internet. I'm happy to pay that sort of a price to be like, yeah. I don't have to worry about this again. If it's going to take me two hours to delete enough emails to be able to send another email, I'd rather spend two bucks a month and make it happen. But for my wife, she's like, I'm barely using email. You know, this is weird to me that storing all of my Google photos is taking up this much space. Getting an email from Walgreens with a JPEG in it is taking up so much space. But I'm like, we pay for things now. You got to be able to pay for yep. things. And that makes a little bit more sense, you know? And I think you're seeing that with Top Shot as well. The, the younger generations understand that having and holding something that's digital is the same as holding something that's physical. It's just the thing that you're holding that's physical happens to be your phone. And it's connected to all of these different things. So the, the creator economy, I think, is focused on this as well. People are happy to support you. People want to support yes. you. And, and that's something I think is really cool about being able to work on the internet is seeing that, I mean, the direct correlation between making content and people supporting you people are getting okay with paying for what they want specifically. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm cool to subscribe to someone's Patreon podcast. If, if I, like, if I enjoy their free show and there are some tertiary benefits or you get the episodes early or whatever, like I'm happy to do that because I would rather my money go directly to someone I like, you know, a lot of the time, I mean, content I enjoy, obviously like that, that's a very easy decision to me as opposed to paying you know, Netflix, Hulu. I mean, I'm, I got to be the only person under 30 with a cable subscription, uh, which I will not. I, I, I did it while we first moved into this house. And as soon as I can get out of it, it's not worth it. I will pay whatever I have to pay to be able to watch live sports uh, mm -hmm. streaming. But I, I, I will definitely never do it again. But I mean, it just it feels like such an easy thing to do, like pay 
people you like and try and eliminate as many of the middlemen as possible. I mean, you, your cable subscription filters down, you know, to so many different people. It just, it's, it's like, what's the point? It's like, that is, that's the exact opposite direction, you know, that everything is going into, um, which actually I think the NBA is kind of early on this because this is a point that has been made on like, you know, Zach Lowe's podcast and everything that ratings are down for the NBA, right? But attention and earnings and things like that aren't really because the way that people specifically engage with the NBA, it's, and I think this is different than football and baseball and hockey, people are very comfortable engaging with NBA content, highlights, top shot without actually tuning into the games. And like, I, this is definitely true for me. I probably listen, actually, I know for a fact, I listen to more hours of NBA podcasts a week than I do like sitting down to watch actual games. I probably watch, you know, five hours of basketball a week, but I listen to your guys' show. I listen to Zach Lowe's show, uh, Nate Duncan's show. And that, that I think used to bother the NBA, but I don't think it does anymore. I think they are signed on for this business model now. They've always been early to websites, to technology, to trying new things. You know, I mean, they're still trying to get VR popping as a, as, mm -hmm. a, as an extension. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're starting to be a little bit more, they're tra tracking people down with regards to YouTube stuff. And, and, you know, they are definitely taking a little bit more ownership of their digital rights, I think. But they're, uh, they, they definitely understand that basketball is a game driven for people who are young and it's always going to be huge with people who are young you see like Steph Curry in 2016 looking like a kid out there which is why every single kid likes him and every single kid is on the internet and they're going to be on the internet for the entirety of their life and the NBA has been very good at having the foresight to say yeah we're gonna we're gonna give some stuff away free here and we're gonna have mm -hmm. to be okay with that because it's going to spread the game and it's going to bring people in even casual fans because you know there are a lot of sports fans out there who football might be their favorite sport or baseball might be their favorite sport, but they still keep track of basketball, whether it be from podcasts or Twitter or seeing highlights on YouTube. And then come playoff time, they're ready to tap into the most valuable games for the NBA and watch those games and drive the ratings up and see the advertising. So it's kind of a long play, no doubt, by the NBA to give stuff away for free, knowing that if you're still interested in it, you're going to check it out at some time, not to mention it's kind of hard to police all that in the first place. You know, people are going to find their streams regardless of what the NBA is doing. So right. I think it was a smart move by them to be pretty lenient with regards to, to rights on the internet and letting people spread the game the way they're going to spread it, even if the NBA said it wasn't okay. All right. Now our favorite time, Top Shot Hot Boys time. Something I think that you might have more insight on than me, which is like, how much do you think the league itself views Top Shot as a marketing tool? Because it basically goes with exactly what we are just talking about. This is like the perfect way for someone casual to convince themselves, you know, oh, I'm making an investment. I'm monitoring my investment. And then all of a sudden you are, uh, you're watching Bulls Pacers on, on March 15th and you, you know who uh, Ed, Edmund Sumner is and you're looking to see if he has any moments on NBA Top Shot because he just had 13 points in the fourth quarter mm -hmm. against the Bulls. I mean, seriously, it, it is, I don't think they could have designed something more perfect to have people casually interact with the NBA. You mentioned the ratings and the ratings have been down basically since the Warriors in 2016. And, yep. um, and at the same time, the league has been lenient, like we're saying with the digital highlights and just the culture of basketball online. 
So during a season where ratings are down, where there are no fans in the stands for the most part, and there are 10 fewer games for each team heading into the season, I think this is going to be huge for the league to have a moneymaker that people are very excited about because I'm sure that this goes into their basketball related income, the BRI that's negotiated in the CBA, which is suddenly almost out of nowhere, a huge boon to the NBA to be able to make all this money back that they lost uh, with the bubble shutdown last year and with fewer mm-hmm. games this year, without the revenue of tickets in the stands. I think it behooves the league to, uh, to be in on top shot. Obviously they are. And you know, they've got the digital license and Adam Silver is a very forward thinking guy to say, okay, if we're the first uh, mainstream NFT attached to a sports league, that's huge. And you're seeing the results right now. I do think that the, that the NBA will start marketing it and getting even more involved with it. As we saw, it went from just a few, you know, 20,000 users to suddenly announcing the rising stars rosters on top shot. And that's just an amazing thing to me to, that the league is saying, okay, we've got something here. Let's keep riding the wave while we can. And I just think it's smart uh, because for years they've been giving away digital highlights. And now finally they've said, okay, we've been giving it away, giving it away. You can still own them here. We just get a tiny little taste of it. That's good. It's a, it's, they finally found a way to, to monetize all of the digital stuff that they were giving away. And I think it's going to be big for the league in the next coming years. So when did, when did you guys hear about it? Like, did you, like, did you guys know like, Oh, this is about to launch. Like, did, like, or was it one of those things where you heard about it and you were like, Oh yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll check it out. And then didn't check it out. And then, you know, kind of when it, it so came to the, the public, I think it's like January 14th is when Jonathan Bales, you know, posted his big blog post. I mean, what, what was the, uh, what was the genesis of top shot inside the, uh, the no dunks office? Well, we definitely knew about it when it was getting ready to launch. Right. Too skeptical. Just didn't know exactly what to do. And I just, I mean, everybody's got top shot regrets, right? The big one for me is always going to be, why didn't I click the link the very first time I saw the email? Why did I wait for the third time? But that's what it was to me, was hearing about it the first time and having gone through um, some cryptocurrency stuff back in 2017, at least being interested in it enough to try and figure it out. I just wish I would have gone for it right away uh, as we all do. But basically, you know, I heard about it the first time. Interested. What is this? Let's, let's see a little bit here. But then when you start hearing about it from people who are outside of uh, the deep basketball internet circle, that to me was like, okay, this is already making it to my friends who are just basketball fans. You know, they find out about it or they're just technology fans. Like, Hey, what is this? And once you hear it, I don't know, a second time, a third time. I was like, I'm not waiting around this time. I'm going to go in. I'm going to see what's around. And it was, for me, it was right at the end of January, I think. So the Bulls had had their biggest win of the year, January 5th. It was a big comeback against the Blazers. Zach Levine hits a step back. The Bulls are back. It was like the first 20-point comeback. And that moment was super cheap at the time. I think I got it for six bucks. I was like, I got to have it. I actually remember this moment. It was an awesome moment for the Bulls. Um, I live in Atlanta, you know, we had flipped the Senate blue with Ossoff and Warnock all on the same night. It was a great night. I was like, this is worth this exactly is amazing. $6 to have this. And then I was like, oh, you know what else would be funny? I'm going to buy a Shea Gilgis Alexander because Skeets thinks he's going to be an all-star next season. It'll be funny to have this if it actually comes true. And then suddenly it was like, wow, everybody's finding out about Top Shot now. This is actually very interesting the way it's growing so quickly. But at first for me, it was a curiosity 
And then it was a joke. And then suddenly I'm trying to get in drops while I'm reading Harry Potter to my daughter in bed. You know what I'm saying? It yep. quickly became a sickness, but I just think it's such a, a cool product, such a fun product. It's really right on it's like a Venn diagram of nostalgia and the future to me. And that is like the perfect spot. The perfect. Yeah. I hate it when a team just retros an old Jersey. I'm like, cool. I could buy it on eBay. That would be awesome. But I love it when they take a Jersey, they make it look like the retro, but they make it look like something that you should see in 2021. And that to me is what top shot is the perfect sweet spot. Yeah. Oh, like those Lakers jerseys, the, the throwback, sure. the throwback uh, Elgin Baylor era ones. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, those are, those are really cool. I mean, so for me, I I probably am more of like I I did I did make obviously because I got in and started buying shit on January 14th. I've made some money on Top Shot, but now like I'm getting a lot of questions of people like, "Oh, you know, what what do I buy? What what's a good value for this price?" And I'm like, to me like I'm just buying stuff that I like now. Like I'm a huge Oklahoma City Thunder fan, so like when when Dort and Theo made the rising stars team. I was like, I'm buying those as soon as they came out. And I did, and I bought them and they're up and I'm not selling them because I just want them. How cool is that? That my favorite team had two players in the rising stars announcement. The first time the NBA did like an official communication via top shot. Like that's just, that's just so cool to me. I mean, imagine if, if Panini did, I mean, and this could never happen because it would take like six months to get organized. But imagine mm-hmm. if Panini announced the Rising Stars game and, and a bunch of those were like, those would be super valuable and they'd look really cool. And you'd want to send those off to PSA and everything. And um, yeah, I mean, I have you have you done I, I saw that you posted the uh, the Deion Sanders top 70 project card yesterday. Are you are you in the uh, the card streets? I'm not deep in the card streets. I'm definitely more in the top shot streets because it's so much easier. It's so much faster and you're locked in right away. You have it right away. It's in perfect condition. It's authentic. You know, everything's good, but unfortunately not everything is on top shot, right? Like if I want a Joachim Noah rookie, it's not exactly. on top shot. I got to go deep yeah. into eBay and find a Joachim Noah rookie. I have been buying the top 70 stuff. Um, I know They're I so challenged. cool. They're so cool. And the first one I saw was the Alex party Acuna. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm a Braves fan. I live here in Atlanta. Ronald Acuna is going to be a hall of famer. He might win the MVP this year, but the card just looked awesome. I was like, I got to have this. This will be cool. Show my kids. You know, it finally came in. I was like, this is awesome. Then they released the Deion Sanders one made by a guy from Illinois. I was like, gotta have that one. And that's what it is to me is just, um, even with top shot, like you're saying, there are so many ways to play the game, whether you're a collector and you're interested in stuff like for you, the thunder, for me, the bulls. It's like, I will never sell that Zach Levine moment. My yeah, what's the point? Moment. Exactly. But there are so many different ways to do it. There are people who are in it for the sport of it, uh, for, you know, making a little money, grinding out some uh, profits here. And I think that is good too. And I think that there are also investors who are playing it for the long game. And that's what makes it exciting to me is that you can be all three kind of at the same time But, you know, when I'm trying to figure out what I want to actually do in the marketplace and I'm a little unsure about where I'm, what I'm feeling, I just always try to go back to that first night where I'm like, I just got into the list because I like it, because I really like the players. And that to me is like why I want to chase the Jokic Cool Cats challenge. I love Jokic. Like he might win MVP this year. Maybe that makes his moment a little bit more valuable. But I also just think it's great to have a guy who is an awesome player, one of my favorites, doing a post move. Not a lot of post moves on Top Shot. So no, no, really not a ton of those. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I don't know. There's just so many different ways to play the game. And whenever you find out your way, it can be really fun. And that to me is uh, is the 
the basis of my top shot fandom is that you can play a different game every single day and every single day it can be a great time. Yeah, you can you can be sitting in the line for packs and being like, great, I'm going to open these up. I'm going to sell them. I'm going to get rid of them. I'm going to, I'm going to turn that into some cold, hard dapper bucks. Uh, and then at the same time, you can also just buy stuff and hold it forever. Like, I mean, I sold all of my, what seeing stars was the, was the all-star game. I, I, I got a pack. I bought a couple, uh, off chain for my buddy and they, they sent gifting down for a week. And I was like, well, I hope that I get these someday. <laughs> and I, I, and then I sold those. Cause I was like, I don't want to do this challenge. I don't think these moments are particularly cool. It wasn't, it was like, you know, Nikola Vucevic and Donovan Mitchell, not guys I cared about that much, sure. but I mean, if Shay, well, I mean, Skeets is right. When Shay makes the all-star game next year, I mean, no way. No, like I will, I will buy that moment right away and i'll like the like the shea cool cat like i mean there's no i'm not gonna do the Jokic challenge although that first day it was looking super cheap and but the i just was like well i'd, I'd love to be able to get this through <laughs> didn't it didn't get any purchases through i mean i i think what you said is is actually the way people should be thinking about it which is i don't have to just be one thing i don't have to invest long term and never check I don't have to just be a pack lottery guy. I don't have to be someone who's sinking money into the website and never taking it out. Like I can do all of these things at once. And the marketplace right now allows you to do all those things at once, which I, I think is awesome. Yeah. And, and I don't know, for me, the emotional part of it, I just can't put it away. Uh, you know, yeah. like <laughs> I can't, I can't stop being a bulls fan when I'm doing this, you know, like certainly there are more valuable rookies to have than Kobe white's rookie. He's, been one of the worst starters in the NBA this season. <laughs> they finally benched him and he's been struggling ever since. But I'm like, I want to have the Bulls rookies, you know, like it would maybe it would be smarter to have chased after the RJ Barrett season one rather than the Kobe White season one. But there's no way I'm building a Knicks collection. Um, so yeah, that's that's the exciting thing is you can go so many different ways with it, and there's always a path for you to to have the fun that you're having. And like you're saying. If you're, if you are tuned into the basketball of it, if you are a basketball fan, it's nice to get a player that you don't care about. I think my seeing stars was a, a Paul George, one of my least favorite players in the league. So I was happy to flip a Paul George. Yeah. Get, get him out of here. Who cares? You know what I'm saying it's like, okay, fine. This is what I would do in real life. I would trade Paul George in a second for Nikola Jokic. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. If you're a basketball fan, I think it's fun, but I don't think you have to be. And obviously it's bringing more people in to the sport as well. Yeah. Um, all right. The last thing we, we, I, we are going to talk about some real basketball here at the end crystal ball time, LeBron and Anthony Davis are both hurt. Kevin Durant has played in only 19 games this year. I'm not going to ask about MVP. I mean, we can talk about MVP here in a little bit, but what I actually think might come as a result of this, right? We saw the Nets got absolutely smoked last night with no KD, no Kyrie, no Harden. They were, they just got ran off the court by, which I mean, obviously if you don't have your three best players, you're going to get ran off the court. But what this is setting up for me is a scenario where Durant never gets fully healthy, right? Or, or if he is, he just, you know, I mean, he's, if you play 25 games in the regular season, I don't think you're going to be at like your, your full capacity. I, I think we could see the Nets and the Lakers both lose before the finals. Cause you guys talked about this on no dunks the other day. I mean, the Lakers could really fall in these standings cause they are bad right now. I mean, Kyle Kuzma, God love him. Not not fit to be number one option. Same thing for Dennis Schroeder. Markeith Morris thinks he is, but he's <laughs> he'll not. Take he's the shots, not yeah. He'll take the shots. So I mean, 
there's even the scenario of the Lakers being in the play-in game, right? Like if because because the Western Conference is tough. I don't think they, I don't think they, I don't think they will. I don't think they will, but it would be, I mean, wouldn't that be the best TV? Imagine everyone I know would be watching the Lakers in the play-in game for sure. Oh man. It's, um, I think it's probably the league's biggest nightmare and the league's biggest dream that the Lakers end up in the play-in tournament. Cause if they're there, you're like LeBron could lose a one game March madness style tournament and be out of the playoffs. That's a huge draw. But I'm not. I'm honestly not super worried about the Lakers. They're going to be re-examining Anthony Davis here real soon. He's a top ten player in the league. He'll at least make them a decent team in the Western Conference enough to keep pace. And then once it comes playoff time, LeBron's going to lock in. He'll turn off his social media and he'll start balling out. And the Lakers will be back in the finals. Would be my guess if LeBron's healthy. The guy makes the yeah. Finals. If he's healthy, he'll, they'll be in the finals. But I, I, I mean, this is this is the longest LeBron has ever been injured and not taking a wine vacation mm-hmm. in his NBA career, right? <laughs> exactly like right. that one year, the the one the first year with the Lakers, he was like, "I'm gonna go drink wine and and just recuperate a little bit because you <laughs> guys are not annoying me." This year, I'm chilling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I think the Nets and the Lakers. I I honestly think the Nets and the Lakers are very similar to the Warriors and uh, the Cavaliers and, and all those years in a row, I think they're clearly the two best teams, but I, I just think that the like 2021 is going all 2020 on us and just, and just (laughs) making, making some weird stuff happen, which I, which I think is totally probably good for the league. Like, I mean, people by the third warriors Cavaliers finals, literally no one cared. I mean, just no one was tuning in. No one cared about those finals. So, Lakers, I mean, and this is the first year with the Nets, but if it's Lakers Nets next year after being this year, it is going to be a very similar problem for the league, I think. Yeah, it's such a tricky thing with super teams, I think, where for a minute they're great for the league. It's amazing. Everybody loves it, and you got to see it, and you got to see just how great this team can be. But then if they stick around a little bit too long, you're like, okay, this is getting boring. People want the next thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I would be thrilled to see the Lakers somehow get into the play in tournament. Like I would love to see LeBron be like, you know what? I'm really taking my time getting back from this injury Yeah, just to make it look even more amazing when we go from the 10th seed to the championship. But I, I think the Nets, I think the Nets are the best team in the league right now. They are. They are. I mean, the Jazz, I think the Jazz probably still got the record. I think the Nets maybe have a better record since James Harden was, was acquired. And that's without KD and a little bit without Kyrie. It's been incredible what the guy's been able to do. It feels like every single year people have to find a reason to not give James Harden the MVP. And he's getting into the conversation this year, despite the fact that he pouted his way out of another franchise for a month, crazy stuff, but they look incredible. And yeah, I mean, it feels like they're on a collision course, except for the fact that four of the five stars between the two franchises aren't playing basketball right now, which is what makes this season exciting. We've got a crazy MVP race right now. There's five guys maybe who could at least get into the conversation and try and get a win here. There are a bunch of teams you could talk yourself into winning the championship, especially since we've seen so many guys miss time this season. And there's the variable of less home court advantage. Like I think the Lakers have a better record playing away from the Staples center because they have no fans in Staples center and LeBron and the guys get hyped off the crowd. Um, So yeah, it'll be definitely interesting. And we're already seeing it with how the Eastern conference standings are stacked up. You can be uh, a home court advantage team sitting number four, and then you lose three straight games and suddenly you're number 11 
looking at the outside of the play in tournament, weird stuff is going to happen, especially with all of these games in the second half of the schedule are so bunched in. So together. crunched in. Yeah. So when LeBron misses three weeks, like that's not 10 games, that's 15, 17 games, something like that. It really messes with your place in the standings. But to me, that Lakers team is probably going to be like, I think there was a Rockets team was a, a six seed that won a championship uh, with Akeem back in the day. So yeah, it's a, it's setting up to be a pretty cool stretch run, especially with the play in tournament. And that was awesome in the bubble last year. It was so good shocking to get in. It's like the NBA yeah. kind of stumbled into something that they've been thinking about trying and it actually worked out and I'm excited for it, you know, and it definitely gives the bulls a better chance of sort of being a playoff team. I don't know if I would have called them a playoff team, but the bears, uh, the Bears made the seventh seed yeah. for the very first time it existed. I was like, well, Chicago, baby. Yeah. We're back. Yeah. If you're the worst playoff team, guess what? You're still a playoff team. Damn right. I, I will never forgive James Harden if Kyrie and KD stay away from the team. He gets the Nets to the number one seed and the voters give it to him instead of Jokic. I, I will never forgive him. I will be anti James Harden forever and ever if he takes it away from Jokic I mean Jokic is the most got to be the most unique MVP candidate ever I mean he did you see I want them to top shot the moment of him the other day I don't remember who was guarding him but he bounced the ball off the ground super hard and then immediately rose it up into a shot I mean he just does things that no one else has ever done on the court I, I want him to win MVP so bad and i don't really want james harden to win mvp <laughs> yeah the thing that's going against harden is the narrative of it is going to be brutal for him yeah and, you know a lot of times in mvp voting as much as people want to talk about numbers and impact the narrative comes into play just as much as the numbers and the team record does so i think that that certainly hurts harden's case because if he had been traded in october before the season started Clearly no problem. The MVP front runner right now. Uh, yep. That being said, Jokic does have the numbers. He's been incredible since the start of the season. I think basketball reference has him at number one on their MVP tracker. Still, they got him at a 41% chance. Obviously that's been with LeBron going out with Joel Embiid going out. The only question with Jokic has been the Nuggets team success. They're fifth in the Western conference right now. Jamal Murray was awesome in the bubble, but he's, not quite he's as consistent as fine. a regular season player. Yeah. He's been playing better. I think the past couple, uh, like the month, past month and a half, Michael Porter Jr.'s kind of stepped into their small ball four role. He's been better. I think the Nuggets are going to go on a nice run here in the second half. And if they're able to stack up wins, if they're able to get to, I don't know, they could realistically get to third in the Western Conference, I think. Maybe even second. It might be tough to catch Utah, but the Suns are a surprising team. They could have a tough stretch here. Obviously LeBron's out for the Lakers. They'll be dropping down and the Clippers have been a little bit underwhelming as well. So if the Nuggets are able to make a run, Jokic already has MVP numbers right here. It's almost a right. matter of if the role players on the team, if the guys supporting him can start playing a little bit better and more consistent, they get wins. And then he's an easy MVP choice. He's the leader right now. He just got to have the team success. And I think if they're, uh, if they got home court advantage in the Western conference, he's the guy. Yeah. All right. Crystal ball time is what do you think that Sam Presti will able more effectively be able to manage the stockpile of assets than Danny Ainge did in Boston? Cause this is my, I'm now, I'm now worried that they have so many picks and so, so many, many good, so many picks and so many good young players that actually they will just spin it into the perpetual hope machine. Mm -hmm. And 
it'll it'll be gone before you know it. It'll be 2028. They wouldn't have made a Western Conference Finals, but they'd have all the picks and all the young guys. Because <clears throat> and Danny Age did run into this, right? At some point, you got to cash in the picks. Mm-hmm. You got to trade for Paul George. You got to trade for Kawhi. I mean, the Raptors, they did it. They got Kawhi Leonard for one year. It was the best decision the franchise ever made. It was it was a g- great decision. And Ainge, just without the guarantee that he would stay there, wasn't going to do it. Do you think that Presti can out-tank, out-fox the, the asset stockpile the way Danny Ainge did at Boston? Please say yes. I'll say yes. Uh, because my general Sam Presti stance is usually... The guy is a great GM. He drafted three MVPs and he lost all of them. Ooh, that's a tough one for Thunders fans. I do think, um, but uh, I think Sam Presti is a smart guy. And I think that um, being a GM for a team like the Thunder is probably more akin to being a GM like a team for the Raptors, where you're not guaranteed that somebody's going to stick around in free agency or that somebody's going to choose yeah. your team in free agency, which is why the Raptors, I think were good. And Masai Ujiri was good with uh, trading DeRozan, uh, a franchise centerpiece, uh, a longtime Raptor. He'll have his Jersey retired at some point, but they said, this is our chance to get a superstar and we need to do everything we can to maximize this window while we have it. It worked out incredibly well for them to get the four bouncer and then to pick up a little bit more fortunate injuries going into the finals And I think that Sam Presti and I think everybody else in the league who is in one of the non-glamour markets sees that as a path to a championship, building a smart team through the draft, through shrewd free agent moves, because that's the uh, front office moves, because you don't have to use every single draft pick, right? You can use those in trades to acquire guys, to clear caps or to clear roster spots for buyout guys. There are ways to improve your team using draft picks besides just picking players. And I think Sam Presti has been pretty good at that. Uh, at least bringing guys in. They haven't all. Yeah, he bring impact. he brings in lots of guys who can win championships. Yeah, Ibaka, it's... Harden, KD, Russ. I mean, MVPs, championship. It's it's hard yeah. to talk about. <laughs> it just all it just needs to break at the perfect moment, and that's exactly how it worked for the Raptors. You know, everybody thought that Kawhi Leonard was the next Spurs legend, taking the torch from Tim Duncan. Suddenly, he hurts his quad, and things go sour there. There's an all-time great NBA player available for one year only, and the Raptors had the access to be able to do it. You got to be in that position when you're in a small market, and that's what OKC is doing. They've got Shea. He's a great player. We'll see what they can put around him in the future because Shea, to me right now, no doubt a keeper. Dort looks like a keeper as well. Other than oh, that, yeah. we'll see exactly how they tinker because, I mean, you're not winning a championship with Al Horford and George Hill, but those guys can bring in assets that pay off in the future as well. So, I don't know. It's, it feels like we're right at the start with the Oklahoma city thunder. They're better than, um, I mean, maybe they were anticipating being this good. Yeah. They, they keep winning these games. It's so like, they, they are not going to have a chance to get to Cade Cunningham because Dort blocks a game winner the other night. It's the, it's the corner three. I mean, what they started Poku, Isaiah Roby, and Moses Brown against the Grizzlies and won like 112 to 105. It's like, what what do they have to do to lose these games? It's, it's very obnoxious. Yeah, and unfortunately for them, they're just a little too good. I mean, they got 19 wins. That would put them in the play-in tournament in the Eastern Conference. They just happen to right. be playing in the West. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll see a little bit more shenanigans coming in the second half of the season. I know Shea's going to be out for a little bit here, which is obviously That gonna... a foot injury. Yeah, he's got a foot injury. I imagine it'll linger a little bit here, especially when the number one draft pick is from the state that you play in. Uh, man, Cade Cunningham on the Thunder. That would be baller style, but... We'll see if it happens. Uh, The Thunder have done a great job of stealthily tanking, just not quite good enough. Uh, They're too good to tank, as Dave DeFore at The Athletic says. But 
I don't know. I've actually enjoyed the Thunder, even though it feels like they're torturing me at all times because Skeet's, uh, he calls them his second favorite team, the Canadian Thunder. Yeah, uh, I love that. I got an Illinois boy and Isaiah Roby, so I can support him a little bit here. Yeah, Roby is Roby is awesome. Um, all right, man. I think that uh, I think that should about wrap us up here. Not that anyone doesn't listen to uh, to no dunks and stuff already, but go ahead and uh, go ahead and promote it. Tell people to subscribe to the Athletic, all that stuff. That's right. We are No Dunks Inc. at the Athletic. You can subscribe to the Athletic for a dollar a month at theathletic.com slash no dunks. I'm not sure when you're going to put this up, but we got our trade deadline wrap up coming here on Thursday, a little bit later. I think the deadline is at 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll have our show sometime after that. Hopefully some exciting stuff happens here because usually it feels like on Wednesday night, every big trade in the world is going down and then it's just DeLon Wright getting traded. So hopefully some big names actually start moving. Hopefully it's not just a buyout market that's popping uh, in the NBA here at the trade deadline, but we shall see. All right, everyone, uh, follow Trey on Twitter, and uh, we will be uh, we'll be back next week. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.